This is Paladin Financial Talk with Jeff Foley and the Paladin Financial Team. Basically, the more accounts you have, the more opportunities there are for mistakes. So taking control of your assets may help you to avoid some of those common mistakes that investors make. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful solutions to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals, your money, and your plans in perfect harmony. And now, here's Paladin Financial Talk. Thank you, everyone. This is Jeff Foley with Paladin Financial, and we appreciate you tuning in to this week's episode of Paladin Financial Talk. We've got a great show today, but first of all, I wanted to point out my attire here today. Uh, usually wear a suit today, not so much. What we're today, <laughs> December what twenty second? Yeah, twenty first, twenty first. So Thursday, dressing down a little bit today. So apologies. Um, oh no, you got to sport the the local team pride, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> First time I've been allowed back on the podcast in a while and I show up like this, but hey, that's all right. Uh, but yeah, we got a great show today. Before we wrap up the end of the year, we're going to talk about some estate planning questions and topics. So we have a special guest here. Well, two special guests. Tony, you're always special. And also Mr. Matt Tram. Matt Tram is an estate planning attorney, works with a lot of our clients with Tram Law. So welcome, Matt. Thanks, Jeff. And uh, he's a uh, repeat. We've had him, you guys, you've been on here before, been a little bit, but uh, we've, we have some great things we're going to talk about and we'll, we'll kick off here and first discuss what are some uh, common questions, Matt, that you get with estate planning clients that come up? What are some things that uh, you hear the most from people? Yeah. So people, people are uh, coming to me usually with a little bit of knowledge, maybe just enough knowledge to be dangerous. And, and so I, I am getting a lot of people that are asking about uh, an instrument called a trust. Okay. And so a lot of people, I'd say that if you were to say, what's the most common question, it's going to be, what is the difference between a will and a trust? And, and I might even expand that to a will-based plan versus a trust-based estate plan. So we're getting that question question a lot. And there's, you know, there's good information out there on the internet. I think there's so much though that it confuses people yeah. leading to that question being on a lot of people's minds. That's good, good. Yeah, that's a common one that we hear from folks as right. well. And people have assumptions on, I need this one or I need that one. And I've learned along the way and don't, right. don't assume right. too much. And that's where you come in to help people sort out yeah. It's not just an asset question, is it? Yeah. Well, so there's, there's a, there's a, I think it's a human, uh, need to say, I want a, a set boundary and you need to tell me what the criteria is for me needing a trust. And, and there have, I've even seen people say, I have X amount of dollars. Do I need a trust? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And people would like to think about it in those terms where it's a cut and cut and dry, uh, you know, formula that they can run on themselves. And, and really, if you have an estate planner that's, that's interested in the client, maybe rather than just pumping out a set document or something, the, the examination should actually look back to the client's situation to say, you know, what are your goals here? What are you trying to accomplish? And I, I always kind of like to look at who do you want to leave something to, okay? If mm -hmm. it's one person, 
that might be a factor for me. If you're saying, as I had yesterday, I've got 12 different beneficiaries I want to leave things to, well, that's going to close some doors uh, maybe in using a will for me to say, uh, if you use the will and maybe we're using some transfer on death deeds and beneficiary designations, uh, you're looking at creating a very complicated and perhaps contentious situation, especially Mm -hmm. with real estate, which I'm sure we can talk about. But uh, we kind of like to look at what are you trying to accomplish? Who are you leaving things to? And then what are you leaving behind? And I think that the, the, you know, examination of do you need a trust or a will-based plan is much more appropriately looked at in those terms rather than just I've got $700,000. Do I need a trust? Yep. Okay. So it's, it's a little bit more nuanced. Yeah, I think a big question, uh, I know in dealing with my grandfather leaving his property and my parents then, my dad inherited some farmland and a farm. And so when I met with the estate planning attorney that my grandfather had, I'm like, uh, you know, the big question like my dad has, do I need a trust? Right. That's the first question out of everybody's mouth was, do I need a trust? Yeah. And then and then to further muddy the waters for people, if if they maybe are looking at their parents plan, they'll see that their parents have a trust and they have a will and that's something that gets people confused when maybe I'm telling them uh, you know I'm breaking one of the biggest misconceptions for people which is if you have a will you still will likely have a probate okay and so that that's another one that people people are coming in with a huge misunderstanding yeah. on that and yeah. they think that somehow the will itself Bypass. has avoided probate. No. Well, the, the will is actually the instructions that we prepare to give to the probate court. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so, so a lot of times we'll have a trust and then people will look and see, oh, my parents had a will too. The will is going to be taking the backup role. It's still going to be there, but it is going to say everything I have should be gifted to my trust and it's now serving as a backup plan. Okay. Yeah. But, but yeah, that's another common one is do I need a trust? Right. And if you have a will, it's not a guarantee that that will is going to be executed as is, right? <laughs> well, so the, the thing that people don't understand is that the will, having a will and having it witnessed and notarized and prepared by the best attorney in the land, it is still the instruction to the probate court. Meaning if I don't have a will, I'm in the same place with the person who does have the will when we're, our states are being administered. And so granted, we can tell the court what we want them to do, but the court still has to go through its process. And kind of what you're getting at there is that a lot of what the probate court is there to do is, first of all, it's there to protect a person's creditors. You know, we, we like to think that we would like to protect our family rather than our creditors. Probate's there to protect your creditor. Mm-hmm. Probate's also there to make sure that people have a forum to lodge all their complaints against you, against other family members. And it mm-hmm. creates this this opportunity for everybody to, to get back at maybe the family members that they've always wanted to. Yep. And that's where we can say, hey, you've got the will, but it's still going to be run through this long process. And, and most people, when they understand that, they don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And most people want to, uh, uh, you always hear probate bad, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> nobody wants probate. So that's why we have a trust is to avoid probate in many cases. Yeah. Or? That's a really good kind of place to, to dig into this a little bit. And so I always like to look at maybe a piece of real estate and, and let's just say a married couple owns a home and, and my wife, Ashley, and I own a home in Arden Hills, let's say. 
we can be on that deed and both of our names can go on there and we can look at that and we can request the deed from the county and we can feel a lot of peace of mind. Yet both of our names are on there. And I know that if I pass away first, my wife Ashley will become the sole owner because we're on there as joint tenants. And so that property passed from being joint to being sole ownership by my wife, no probate, no problem. But if my wife passes away, this is where, even if Ashley and I had the best will in the world that says, this property shall be passed down to our two daughters. The problem is, is that Ashley's name is the only name on that deed. Okay, and now the county recorder's office who holds the deed, uh, my daughters could go down there and say, hey, our parents have both passed away. We want to inherit this property. And the county recorder's office will say, hey, there's no reference to any transfer mechanism on this deed. You're talking about something that's in a will. Take that will to the probate court. Okay, and so now you've got the probate process. What what the purpose of a trust would be, among a couple of other things that could potentially be done, but a trust can actually create an agreement between Ashley and myself to say, we agree outside of the probate court, outside of our will, we agree that when we pass away, this property should be passed down to our daughters. Very similar to what we put in our will, but it can be put into this trust agreement. The trust agreement will generate a title of the agreement. The title then of the agreement, it could be the Ashley and Matt Tram Living Trust, that can be put onto the deed alongside of Ashley and my name. Now, meaning that both of us could pass away and the name of that agreement is still on the deed. And now the county recorder's office will say, hey, this doesn't need to go through probate. Tell us what that document says. Have that successor trustee in that agreement come forward and you guys can handle this whole thing outside of probate privately and it can be immediately passed down to the the uh, beneficiaries in that trust agreement. So that's oh. going to be your, your purpose of having a trust is to get it onto the, the title of the asset. Sure, sure. Yeah, so the, the will is instructions, whereas the trust bypasses it does. probate. So. And, it's a, and it's a way to actually control the asset immediately uh, upon your passing without any delay or gap yeah. there. Okay. And a lot of people, I don't know if you, you probably experienced this as well, a lot of people that might be a good candidate for having a trust trust costs more money than a will, but if you yep. look at the difference between what it's going to cost to have a trust put together versus a will, and you spread that out over your lifetime, and you look at the ease of administering things in your passing, it's nothing. It's it's, it's almost uh, non-existent, especially the way that at least uh, we've grown our, our process in our firm is that the trust-based plan, which would be a plan based on having a trust along with all the other documents that everybody should have, and a will-based plan, the, the cost is very similar. You know, there's kind of a, a floor cost of doing everybody's documents yeah. that you get with a will, and the trust is just a little bit more than that. And so really, cost would, would not, in my experience, be a big factor for people if they take the time to understand what, what it is that they're getting. And, and certainly probate avoidance is just one of the big benefits mm -hmm. that some people can get from a trust. And, and we still do a lot of will-based plans. And, and uh, you know, maybe it's, it's worth just looking at a situation where a will-based plan can still be a good option uh, and still understand, be understood to avoid probate. Okay. And so where I like to use a will-based plan would be for a, a, a family. And it could, it could be a family even with significant assets. But one of those big factors would be, does the family 
have a small number of beneficiaries. So if you've got an only child situation, this would kind of be something that would be a little bit of a trigger for me to say maybe maybe a will-based plan can work because we remember we have the titling problem on the real estate. How do we avoid that with a will? Well, we actually can do an additional document that's called a transfer on death deed in Minnesota, and the only child's name can be put on the, the, the transfer on death deed so that when the parents both pass away, the child's name will automatically be put on that deed through a transfer on death deed. People say, well, I've got five kids. I want to use that same method. I want to avoid having a trust. Let's use a transfer on death deed with my five children. Well, that's where I'm going to really try to put the brakes on uh, because what you're actually doing there with five beneficiaries is you're saying that when, when the two spouses pass away, there will become five new owners of a property and they're not going to be the people inheriting the proceeds from the sale of the property. There's not any actual discussion about that. They will just simply become the owners of the property. So now you have a residential property, five owners, maybe eventually those five siblings, if they, if they don't hate each other by this point, all decide, yes, we are going to sell it. Well, now you got to say, the five of us will all agree on the same realtor to use. That's another problem that I actually see become a real issue. Um, and we agree to what time of the year we should sell it, what the listing price should be. Yeah, you the price agree. is the big the one, price I would thing. And there's people who want to liquidate it. I want my money tomorrow. Let's sell right. it to this guy who just called who wants to offer 25 cents on the dollar. That sounds good to me. He'll put money in our pocket tonight, he said. Or you have people who say we should take a year to get the best price. You know, people are now fighting with each other. Yeah. Maybe they come to a place of agreement and then the title company says, oh, by the way, in Minnesota, it's one to buy, but it's two spouses to sell. Did you guys know that your five spouses also need to sign off on this? And now we gotta get 10 signatures. And, and now the wow. spouses maybe, maybe have their designs on, on inflicting some pain on the you know, sister-in-law or something. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, the transfer on death deed quickly becomes a nightmare situation. Oh, I've heard, because I had heard the yeah. transfer on death deed was the way to go. <laughs> but when there's multiple parties, like my it's grandfather, for. yeah, my grandfather used transfer on death yeah. for his, all his farmland and he had four children. Yeah. Um, but he didn't, it was separated out clearly yeah. and stated this 80 acres, right. it transfers and on we've death done that to, a lot. to yeah. Jerry, this 80 acres transfers to my dad, Tom. Yep. And so in that case, it can work, right? It's a, really, or, it's a really good point. And so that's just about being strategic. Don't put all the kids on all the properties, give one property to each kid, and then you've still avoided that problem yeah. of having to reach this agreement yeah. with of course, a large Of course, if you just have people. one property, like yeah, a then, house, then it's hard. And that's hard. typical, you know, is that you've got the house and that's where all the equity is. And, and so, yeah, there's some pitfalls there to just be aware of. Oh. You don't want to be penny wise and pound fool. And, exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and that, unfortunately, is in uh, human nature to a certain extent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, if you uh, kind of peeling back the curtain, if you will, yeah. the life of an estate planning attorney. Right, right. Well, 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 not too far. No. Yeah, I don't want to shock uh, you guys. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> is this a PG-13 uh, podcast or what is this? <laughs> uh, what would you say is the most difficult part of what you do? So um, I, I would say it's, it's the, the, the information gap, okay? And, and a common 
thing that I hear when we actually maybe get to the point of the process where we're signing documents is, Matt, uh, why doesn't everybody do this? Okay, and, and uh, that goes back to the most difficult part of my job, which is just reaching people. Mm-hmm. And, and it kind of relates to, I know, uh, something that we'll probably talk about too, which would be, uh, you know, what's the, what's the biggest misconceptions? What, what, are, what do you struggle with? And I think it is just that information gap that, that people just don't know. And I think then maybe where I was going with that was that uh, people can put this off. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. reaching them and then actually once they understand it, getting them to take action. Yeah. You know, yeah, and it's the most common thing I think that we are reminding our clients as we work through our planning process and hear all the things that need to be buttoned up to have a secure retirement and right. peace of mind. This is probably the most common one is you've got to get your estate plan in place. If you don't, yeah. you're on the state's plan and here's how that's going to look. Yeah. And I, I really like the way you said that. And I, I tell people the same thing is that everybody actually has an estate plan. Mm-hmm. It's, it's either you can have the one that you do or you can have the state's default plan yep. for you. And, and so, yeah, I think, I think the most difficult thing is just lighting the fire, fire under people and then just reaching them, okay? Yep. Estate planning is the easiest thing, I think, to put off, yep. you know, <laughs> so, so it's right up there. Well, nobody likes to think about their own passing or talk You're about exactly it or right. communicate with their kids or loved ones about mm-hmm. what's going to happen and especially my parents generation and my grandfather's oh, generation certainly. they never talked to anyone about their financial situation <laughs> yep. and it's so private so i think that's a roadblock that a it lot is. of people face but the 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 advantages and the disadvantages the reason you want to do it is you don't want to leave your loved ones in a bad situation right i mean you're really you can really destroy the harmony of a family oh yeah so quickly yeah, yeah. no it actually i there's a there's an example and and i'm an old uh, hockey player and in youth youth hockey or high school hockey maybe is what i'm thinking of college hockey even to a certain extent you know the referees are there during a game to to keep everything in order and i kind of think of the parents like the referees and the the teams can more or less uh, you know come to the end of the night and they haven't killed each other yet <laughs> sometimes in a scrimmage uh, or in a practice that is where there's no referees and you'll really see people start fighting Okay, and I kind of think of that as the situation where the parents are gone and the parents thought the kids would totally get along when they're gone. And and I have seen there be something that changes when the parents are not there. And it's almost like the kids lose a certain connection with their sibling even. Hmm. And and now it does become about money. It becomes about hard feelings. And and you hate to have the, the concept that you would not do something during your life that would put your kids at each other's throats when you yeah. pass away. So yeah. there's there's that element too. Yeah. Um, a friend of Tony and I is um, his family, Jay. Yeah. Um, he shares the story. His mom went through this process, got her estate planning documents in order, got a trust, et cetera. And when it came to the household items, she was like, you guys can sort it out. I'm not going <laughs> to list them out. Very was, common. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of times that's left blank. Well, she was going to go through that route and Jay said, no, 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 wait a minute. You need to line these out. And when they were him and his siblings and the mom were talking about it, the biggest thing that they were going to have issue over was a butcher's block. It wasn't <laughs> who got the cabin and the car right, and the money. Right. Isn't it was, that crazy? His granddad had made a, 
a nice butcher yeah. block that was kind of the centerpiece of the kitchen and they all wanted it and it needed to be laid out who's going to get it and, right it's so, so true wow. and and a lot of times no one cares who gets which dollar okay if you take that dollar i'll take that dollar and everybody's happy those personal items yeah. can have immense sentimental value uh, and th- that really can be the source of more conflict. So the more we can get someone to think about some of that or maybe even just decide how things will be distributed, the better. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, that's a good example, Jeff, for sure. That's good. Um, we have coming up in a couple years now, so at the end of 2025, we've got a big change on the, on the books currently with the federal estate tax exemption is set to sunset and roll back to what it was back in 2017. And for people that have a significant amount of assets, that number is going to drop quite a bit. And there'll be a lot of people that are currently under the federal estate tax exemption today that might Mm -hmm. be triggered with that. And this is just the federal side. Um, Human nature is people delay. And as we just talked about, put off things that we know we should address. But for people that have assets that are going to be impacted by that, do you see people making a move yet to make changes to get under that exemption? So we've just in the last month, we've dealt with two higher net worth clients that that are doing some things ahead of time. I've got about 10 people who have said, let's talk after the first. Mm -hmm. And and so I think there is starting to be a little gear up to try to deal with this. And and Jeff, you know, just for the the audience, uh, we currently have a, a an exemption at the federal level that's that's around thirteen million dollars. Mm-hmm. That's that gives most Minnesotans at least a lot of uh, comfort to say I probably won't be paying estate taxes if I have thirteen million and my spouse has thirteen million that we can give to our kids without paying federal estate taxes at the forty percent plus range. Okay, that exemption level is going to be cut in half more at least in half in 2026 down to 5.6 and so you still need to have a lot of money to worry about that one uh but you know sometimes people aren't even considering life insurance death benefits a part of that uh you know the people can get in that range and and they need to take action before 2026 in order to have all of their options available okay so Mm -hmm. so that's a big deal Minnesota, as you mentioned, you know, you said this is just for federal. Minnesota has their own estate tax exemption, and this is more relevant to to a lot of the people that I'm working with, and that's at $3 million, okay? And it's not even as comfortable as the federal in the sense that the federal, uh, without getting too technical, it's got a concept called portability associated with it where the surviving spouse can use both exemptions. In Minnesota, we don't have portability technically yet, and so maybe an estate plan would be required for the second spouse to use both $3 million exemptions if needed. And so, yeah, those are, those are issues that, uh, that people can't keep kicking down the road uh, for too long and still have uh, all of the benefits of that really high exemption to use in dealing with the issue uh, before 2026. And the federal estate tax is what most people typically talk about and it's significant, but you drop down to 3 million in Minnesota. There's a lot more people in there when you're considering your retirement plans, your death benefits, equity in the house. Maybe you've got a company and you don't even know what it's worth. And and so, yeah, there's there's some pitfalls there for sure that I see dealing with even what you know, people would think of as, you know, middle-class Minnesotans. 
And that Minnesota state tax starts at 13% and yep. gets as high as 16, yep. so it's not insignificant. A common question or concern or, or um, confusion point that comes up as well as you have the estate tax that the estate is paying. Mm-hmm. Can you explain the difference between the estate tax and inheritance tax? Yeah, so so Minnesota, uh, it, it, we just do have an estate tax, mm-hmm. okay? And, and that's, that's more or less understood to mean that the estate pays that tax rather than someone getting an inheritance and then owing a tax. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so you know there's there's stuff that people have in their minds from maybe the way it used to be or some other state. But Minnesota we're dealing with an estate tax. Yep. And and so yeah, that's always a good thing. I think a lot of people, you know, could just use the peace of mind to to have a professional look at their situation and tell them that they don't have an estate tax problem. I've dealt with a lot of people who come in with some real stress that I think I'm going to be paying taxes or my estate will be paying taxes and I can go through a kind of an analysis with them and tell them, no, you won't. And even just that I've seen in, in some of these consultations be a real point of stress relief. Yep. And uh, Wisconsin, which I'm directionally challenged, but I believe is 22 <laughs> miles to the east of here. <laughs> yeah. Close. So they yeah. have a, a, a transfer tax. Yeah. Um, or So you have the inheritance tax that's separate. That would apply if you have property in yeah. Wisconsin, which might apply to some people on here as well. But yeah. Um, yeah. Taxes, taxes, fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And isn't that a large part of uh, what estate planning is for, is to try to minimize the tax burden for your loved ones when you leave them yeah. a house or property or money? Is yeah, that, I'm is that you, part of what glad, you oh, do? It's, that's, the, that's the big consideration. Now, estate planners have had it a little bit easy in the sense that some of those exemptions are so high that not everybody's having to, to deal with that once we can make that determination. Sure. However, there's, there's a different kind of tax that, that I think is relevant to everybody, and this is a capital gains tax. Okay, and yeah. this does directly relate to how we set up someone's estate plan, and and unfortunately, there's a lot of people that that uh, are part of the do-it-yourself culture, and and one of the things we see getting done in the do-it-yourself estate planning world would be, hey, before I pass away, why wouldn't I avoid this whole probate situation, and why don't I gift? my properties and, and assets mm-hmm. to my my loved ones. Let's gift the family cabin to the kids now rather than rather than waiting till I pass away and I've heard that I'll have a probate, et cetera. Let's just do a quit claim deed and let's give the cabin to the kids. Well, uh, I wanna urge extreme caution when you start to think like that because that could be the right move and, and, and I don't think it would be the right move simply from an estate tax or an estate planning perspective. But where it becomes the wrong move is that we, we do still enjoy something called a step up in basis mm-hmm. when we transfer an appreciated asset on a death. Meaning I bought the cabin for, for $100,000. It's now worth $700,000. Um, I don't owe any taxes until I sell it, capital gains tax, but let's just say I gift that property to my kids during my lifetime. Well, now my kids own the property. They don't owe any taxes because they haven't sold it either. But when they go to sell it, they do not owe a capital gains on the difference between 700,000 and the new appreciated value. They actually owe capital gains all the way back to the $100,000 number because that was my basis when I gifted it to them. Well, now that's yielding a huge 
a capital gains loss, okay, because capital gains is actually can be a very high tax rate because it's based on the person who's paying its income as well. And so there's a way around that, which would be to pass a property at death. So through the estate plan, if we can do that, pass a property or appreciate asset at death, we get a step up in basis up to the fair market value in the year that the person passed away. So in the example, my kids would now have a new basis in the property at $700,000. And if they sold it a year later for 750, they would only owe that capital gains on 50,000 sure. rather than the full, full, you know, 650 that would have been in the other situation. Wow. So that's a, that's a blunder that I see people making. And there's other problems with maybe gifting the property too. And I know Jeff, Jeff and I have talked about this mm-hmm. just recently, but, uh, but yeah, there's some real, real things to pay attention to. Yeah, we have two different situations. Mm-hmm. I have uh, someone I'm working with, another one of our advisors has someone that they're working with where gifting at the wrong time has created some issues that need to be dealt with that are yeah. not fun. So kind of summarizing that, if you, you're passing that cabin or that house um, away at death, mm-hmm. your kids get a step up in basis or whoever gets a step up in basis, if you gift that, you're passing on your cost basis right. to the kids and they turn around and sell it later, their exactly. pay gains. So. And, and one, one thing I do see a lot of as well is people saying, oh, well, that might apply, Matt, but this is my personal residence and, and I've got an exemption for capital gains. I've never had to even think about capital gains because I know that uh, my house is worth less than $500,000, et cetera. And they're actually getting that confused because the personal exemption is not gonna apply when your kids go to sell it necessarily in the same way it would if maybe you sold it. Okay, yep. so you're, even on a personal residence, you're still passing along your basis. Okay, yep. so mm-hmm. yeah, some serious problems. Very good. Uh, last, maybe most important question for both of you now. We have a big day coming up. Turkey, ham, or some other option. So um, I don't know where this camera cuts off, but if you can see see my body, you'll I'll be able to tell you that I'd go with both options. Turkey, I, actually, and I would say turkey, ham, and whatever else is available is yeah. how I'm looking at this. Yeah. All the above. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, for me, it was weird. My On my dad's side, my grandparents always celebrated Christmas, Christmas Eve every year. Mm-hmm. That was tradition. And the whole even extended family, I mean, all the aunts, uncles, cousins, relatives on both my grandma and grandpa's side would come to their house and she made oyster stew wow. Christmas Eve. Uh. And I've heard that's a thing. You can look it up. Huh, uh, Christmas Eve oyster stew. And I can't stand it. I hate it. <laughs> I was going to say that. That's, yeah. uh, that's But unique. the broth with little oyster crackers, delicious, but not the oysters. <laughs> and then ham on my mom's side. It was always ham on Christmas yeah. Day. Yeah. Um, How about you? Well, if I was cooking, everyone would be eating TV dinners and we'd be (laughs) dusting off those metal trays. It'd be pizza. If I was in charge of the food, it would always (laughs) be pizza. Can't go Uh, wrong. Otherwise, I'm not picky. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm not picky. I'm just telling you what my family I grew up with. That's for sure. I'm Uh, like you. I'll eat whatever's put in front of me. Yeah, exactly. And I'll eat a lot of it. And Matt, how would people get a hold of you if they wanted to reach out and yeah. get their estate plan updated or implemented? Yeah, so I would actually say that that uh, you and I have a really good situation going where, where if somebody wants a meeting with me, we actually have uh, the ability to give them a free consultation. Um, and that's going to be most efficiently set up when they go through you. 
okay? Yeah. And so I know that your office has a way to set that meeting. Um, if it's someone that, that maybe has to go some other route, they can just go to tramlawfirm.com, T-R-A-M-M lawfirm.com, and there's instructions and prompts on there on how to set up a, a consultation. Perfect, perfect, very good. Excellent, and Jeff, let's give the number for Paladin if they wanna call and get the financial <laughs> and uh, set up that sure. estate planning meeting through Paladin. I'll give that number for you. It's 651-842-8406, correct? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. All if right. Want to give us a call, schedule a complimentary second opinion on your retirement plan, and as part of our process, we look at your financial plan, your estate plan, your taxes. We want to make sure all of that is working well together. Those three pieces of the puzzle aren't working in different directions. So give us a call and we'd love to set up that time and meet with you and give you some great ideas and help how to help you and your family navigate retirement, estate planning, all these great things and bring Matt into the process as well. So uh, for everyone, happy holidays. Thank you very much. And Matt, thank you very much for joining Thanks for us. Thanks having me, guys. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It was a great show. And listeners, that does it for today's episode of Paladin Financial Talk with our host, Jeff Foley. Thank you for listening to Paladin Financial Talk. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound income plan. For more information, please contact Jeff Foley at Paladin Financial. Call 877-219-3199 or visit their website at financialpaladin.com. Advisory services offered through Paladin Wealth LLC, a Minnesota registered investment advisor. Paladin Wealth LLC offers advisory services under the DBA Paladin Financial and Paladin Wealth. Insurance products and services offered through Paladin Insurance LLC. Paladin Wealth LLC and Paladin Insurance LLC are affiliated companies. All matters discussed during the show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation. We are not affiliated with or enforced by the Social Security Administration, the Federal Medicare Program, or any other government agency. Calling this number will direct you to a licensed sales agent.